Thank you so much, Steve. And um, uh, it is a real pleasure to, uh, to, to be here. Uh, many of you will know Neil Martin. He um, was here and he is with us now and bringing enormous blessing to us in, in Trinity Church. And more of that in, um, as we unpack God's Word, actually. But I want to move straight to that. Um, Romans chapter 16, if you've got a Bible, if you want to open it with me. Paul's letter to the Romans is full of rich things, but uh, there are some rich things at the end that I think sometimes get overlooked as he greets lots of people. And I want to read his final greetings to them, to you. Romans chapter 16. Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church of Cancrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risk their lives for me. And not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Eponetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who've been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, whose women, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who's worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who's been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologos, Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Well, as the apostle uh, writing here from Corinth sent greetings to the church in Rome, let me bring the greetings of uh, uh, Trinity Church, a little baby church plant in the heart of Oxford to you, and our enormous gratitude, as I've already said, to your, your generosity in so many ways. One of the interesting things, though, about our relationship, um, the relationship between Trinity Church and um, at Crossroads Bible Church in Grand Rapids is that it is not just um, a, a sort of distance one. It is one act which involves a whole rich web of relationships, not least through um, uh, Rod's vision in, in trying to build relational links between us. So down here are some good friends of mine that I, um, I met 
in Israel this summer when we were there with Crossroads Bible Church. And I, I reckon probably there are 50 of you between the two services that I know personally, not least, of course, all the relationships that Neil has and the numbers of people who've already come across to Oxford to see what's going on and to join us for a little while and to pray with us. Now, that actually relates quite closely to this passage. This passage actually gives a little window into God's hidden strategy for world mission. Now, we think God's strategy for world mission is pretty straightforward. We seek for God to raise up missionaries within the local church. We train them. We send them out to another part of the world where they, where they um, spread the gospel and we send financial support and they send back prayer letters and so on. And that, of course, is there in the New Testament. If you read the book of Acts, you will see the Apostle Peter and more prominently the Apostle Paul doing just that, going out around the world world, sometimes with a a small band of friends, evangelizing, planting churches, moving on, coming back and reporting to their, their sending church. That's definitely part of God's strategy for world mission. But there is another element of God's strategy for world mission that is missed unless you read it closely. You see that the, the key to seeing it is to remember one key thing about this letter to the Romans. Paul has never been to Rome. And yet, when he writes this letter from um, uh, elsewhere to Rome... He knows all kinds of people. There are 26 people who are named specifically by the, by the apostle, whom he seems to know personally. And others actually who are unnamed that um, he seems to indicate that he knows, brothers and sisters of, uh, of these people. How did he know all of these people who are there in Rome if he's never been there? Answer, he met them elsewhere in his travels and theirs. You know, there are, there, there are um, people in Rome from all over the eastern Mediterranean. It starts, verse 1, with Phoebe, our sister, a deacon of the church in Cancrea. Cancrea was the port of uh, Corinth in Greece. So she... Um, lives there. She serves in a local church there in in Greece, but she's actually going to be going up to Rome, almost certainly on her on her normal business. She seems to be a businesswoman. She's heading to Rome, and she probably takes this letter. So um, uh, she will be in Rome in just a little while. Or others who are already in Rome. Verse three. Do you see? Pr- greet Priscilla and Aquila my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They're a very interesting couple, Priscilla and Aquila. They were wealthy um, 
high-born business people. Aquila was a Jew and Priscilla was not. She was, uh, um, uh, she was a Gentile, but they evidently met and married. Aquila was from, the north, from Pontus, the northern part of Turkey. But they, either before or after they, they met, find themselves together in Rome where they got converted. Uh, in AD 49, then, there was persecution of Christians that, um, uh, that, that um, started, and they were expelled from Rome and came down to Corinth, where they met the Apostle Paul. Uh, a little while later, in fact, they decided that they would move across the water to Ephesus in southern Turkey with the Apostle Paul and support him in his mission. And then we find them later still returning to Corinth. And now, in this letter to the Romans, they're back in Rome again. A, a number of years ago, I, f- I, I was flying from Europe back into, into the UK, landing at a small airport, and everyone on the plane... And um, including the air stewards, actually, who were sort of peering out, were peering out of the window with great excitement. The reason was Johnny Depp had just landed in his private plane. <laughs> now, you thought that wealthy people jetting around the world and having multiple homes was a 21st century thing. Priscilla and Aquila beat them by 2,000 years. They just had the resources, and because of, no doubt because of their business in part, um, they could move around the Roman world, and they did. It's very interesting, actually, just to think for a moment, the reasons why they moved, and what that tells us about God. First of all, they seem to have moved to Rome, not as believers, but there they met believers and got converted. God was in control of their lives and your life before you were a believer. God determined where you would be. God determined that you would come and live in this city. Whether you made that decision for Christ or or not, God is in control. The, The second move that they did, remember, expelled from Rome... A horrible bit of persecution entirely against their will. God was still in control. Indeed, God used that method for them to meet the Apostle Paul and greatly um, deepen their faith. You know, you may have bad, difficult circumstances that have brought you here. God was in control of that, it is not out of his control. And then the third move is, in, is the most interesting of all, the move from Corinth across to Ephesus. That was a choice for the gospel for them to move. Now they're believers. Now they are thinking about their life in gospel terms. And they've got the resources and a business that anyway spreads over the whole of uh, the eastern Mediterranean. Why shouldn't they move for the gospel to help Paul planting a church in Ephesus? And so that's what they do. Do you make your decisions about where you live and what you do with that in mind? Because God's calling to all believers is to keep the gospel central in, a, in our purpose for life. It doesn't mean to say that everyone gives up their business. Priscilla and Aquila didn't. 
It does mean to say that we gauge, gauge everything we do, every decision we make, against the question of how can I best advance the cause of Christ? Priscilla and Aquila are great examples of that. Moving around the world for the sake of the gospel. And it wasn't just the super rich who were mobile in that way as well. Ordinary people were. Um, In verse 5, you see this man mentioned, Eponetus. Greet my dear friend Eponetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. That's uh, um, modern Turkey now. So here's Eponetus, a special person, the first convert to Christ. But he actually has the name of a very ordinary person. No, No one high born would have had that name. He's an ordinary man. But this ordinary man, the first convert, somehow finds himself across in Rome. We don't know how, but there he is. Or um, uh, uh, others who were, were, were poor were slaves, of course. And slaves get a mention in verse 10. You see that? Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Aristobulus was an interesting man. He was the grandson of Herod the Great. And he was wealthy and therefore his household, as it's described here, was a significant number of slaves. Aristobulus lived most of his life in Palestine, but actually he ended his life in Rome. Aristobulus is dead by the time Paul writes this letter. The slaves have been passed on to another slave owner as one and are still called those of the household of Aristobulus. The interesting thing that we know from other historical writings is who they were passed on to. Emperor Claudius. Paul's writing to people who are personally serving Emperor Claudius. Totally powerless themselves as to where they go, who they're owned by. But God's been moving them around and he's placed some ordinary people who are believers in the service of the Roman emperor. That's how God spreads his gospel so often. You know, we have, for instance, in Oxford, a young man I was talking to just a few weeks ago, his, um, uh, his mother is a Mexican. She um, uh, smuggled, was smuggled across the border into the southern United States, as many are. He, as a little baby, had no choice in the matter. Um, whatever the morality of uh, that situation, God, in his providence... Saw, that, saw to it that that little boy who was raised in Texas met some believers and he got converted. And that little boy who would have had no chance of hearing the gospel elsewhere um, was also very bright and he ended up at Harvard. And then from Harvard, he came to Oxford and he's being discipled in Oxford. And who knows where the Lord will take him Next. 
That's how, uh, that's how God works. I'll tell you another story of a family that I know. They, they, they are from Congo, Brazzaville in uh, West Africa. And they uh, came to Oxford a number of years ago as refugees. And they ended up lodging in a little house next to a group of students. And one of the students in the, in the next door house was called Chelsea. Chelsea Clinton, in fact. And Chelsea's dad used to come and, uh, and visit and even bounce this uh, little Congo Brazzaville girl on his lap. And that humble African family was able to speak to people they couldn't have imagined they would have access to of their faith. Watch this space as to the result of that. I have no idea. But uh, uh, those are the opportunities we have in uh, our modern world as people are moved around this world by God. High-born, low-born women as well. Did you notice how many women um, uh, uh, Paul knows and greets by name? Phoebe, Priscilla, but there are others as well. It it was a chauvinistic world in those days, but uh, not in the church. In God's church, women were absolutely vital, precious part of God's kingdom. The sociologist Rodney Stark suggests that in the first 300 years of the church's life, it was the women who were absolutely crucial and central in the explosive growth of the church. And there was racial diversity as well. There's an interesting character in verse 13. Rufus, he is, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who's been a mother to me also. Now, the evidence is that Rufus is the son of Simon Cyrene, who carried the cross for Jesus as Jesus headed to his crucifixion. Simon Cyrene was from North Africa, actually near to Benghazi, where there was, uh, in Libya, where there was the atrocity a a few years ago. And uh, uh, so, so Simon... That's where Simon lived. That's probably where Rufus was born. Elsewhere in the book of Acts, Simon is described as Simon Niger. Simon the black man. Yeah, right at the heart of the church, indeed of the story of Jesus' crucifixion, but then of the growth of the church, is a black African man, Simon. Fascinatingly, Rufus, his son, Rufus means red. Was he mixed race? Certainly, the, the, the church was absolutely pioneering in saying there is no Jew or Greek, no, no racial differences. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And here is Rufus from North Africa, son of Simon, whom uh, uh, is found in Rome, known by the Apostle Paul. Rich, poor, women, all races. 
and all moved around that ancient world with incredible mobility. Simply through that process, or mainly through that process, within a hundred years or so of the death of Jesus, the gospel had gone all over Africa um, uh, to India, no doubt in part through the Apostle Thomas, as the ancient tradition suggests, but also just through trade routes, all along the ancient Silk Road as well, as far as China. There was, there was um, a, a, a a third century graveyard was excavated a little while ago in Kyrgyzstan in, uh, on the ancient Silk Route. In the third century, right on the edge of China, in the third century, they found that one third of the graves were Christian. It's the untold story of the gospel spreading around the world through the natural movements of people, even to a little cold, wet, green island to the north of Europe called Britannia in those days. There's a, another first century, second century, I think, graveyard, in fact, that was, was, was dug up near Oxford where we are, a Roman graveyard, And with modern isotope studies, you know, they can study the bones and find out where people were born. 25% of the people in that graveyard have been born outside of Britain. What happened historically was actually that level of incredible mobility somewhat collapsed when the Roman Empire collapsed. And you went back to little isolated um, nations and kingdoms. And the next time the world became as geographically mobile as it was in those days was the 1950s. For, for For a lifetime now, we have lived... In a moment that even a hundred years, people would have longed to see. Where people are crisscrossing the world again. Where connections can be made with ease. Where friendships can be formed across cultures and, and places. Where, where, where you can go for, for a time and, and bless the people. And come back and, and, and bless your own church as well. With the information as you were hearing at the beginning of the, of the service. Where, where people for business reasons find themselves traveling. Where people can make the decision for the gospel to to, to up sticks and say, well, I can do this in another culture and I might be more useful in that other culture. I can go. I don't need to be a conventional missionary. I can just go and be a web developer or a, or a, or a farmer or whatever it is. For the gospel, for Christ, because I can move now across the world. Our modern cities are, are, uh, are so connected with one another. And the relationship here between Crossroads and Trinity Church is just a little part of that story. But it is a wonderful one. It is a, it is a gospel moment that this world has, uh, has not had for nearly 2,000 years since that first period, when the gospel can spread through the natural movement of people. You know, we, we have... We, have, um, we had a Kenyan woman who, who was 
came to Oxford as a non-Christian. She was converted with us and we discipled her for a brief time. Now she's back in Nairobi building houses for the poor as a believer. We have in the church at the moment a Sri Lankan who was, uh, was uh, a refugee from all the troubles in, in Sri Lanka and ended up in Australia. There he heard the gospel and got converted and now he's in Oxford studying and who knows where the Lord will take him next. We have in the church, and you'll see a video at the end, a man who grew up in Maine, actually, but in a non-Christian home. Um, He found himself in Egypt, where he got converted. He came as a very young, can you imagine that? An American getting converted in Egypt? There you go. He, 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 he found himself then as a very young believer coming to Oxford and we discipled him and now we've sent him out to work with the Samaritan's Purse in northern Iraq. Uh, we'll, you'll see the video later. What an opportunity for us to be involved in that. God's hidden purpose for world mission. Now here's the thing. What kind of a church do we need to be here to take advantage of that? Seems to me that the Apostle Paul has really clearly in his mind what kind of church he wants to see grow up in the city of Rome. Let me, let me just lay it out for you briefly to give you something of a vision of what, what I believe God wants for your church and mine as we exist as people, gospel people. He wants quality. Paul wants quality understanding in the first place, you will know that Romans is a, as an extended, laid out explanation of the gospel. Because he wants people to have a deep quality understanding of the gospel. Let, let, me, let me just try and summarize um, Paul's letter to the Romans um, relatively briefly to give you a sense of what he's talking about what he wants to see in them. Uh, Chapters 1 to 4 of Romans, he says the only way we get right with God is through faith in Jesus and in his death on the cross for our sins. Everybody equally is in need of that. Everybody equally simply has to come on bended knee with open empty hands to receive the grace of forgiveness and reconciliation with with God. We are all the same. Do you see how that that liberates us from from narrow interest in just people who are like me? All of the world is the same. All of the world is in equal need. All of the world has equal opportunity to come to Christ and be put right with God. Not by engaging with a particular culture or a particular set of rituals or anything like that, but through putting their faith in Christ. That truth changes us and it sends us out into all the world as well. 
Second, Romans 5 to 8. God promises on the basis of that, what, what the Bible calls justification, of that being put right with God, God promises us new life. New life, not by a, a, a abiding by a set of rules or, or adopting a set of disciplines or a way of life or, or even simply by coming to church or anything like that, but new life by His Spirit, whereby His Spirit uh, enables us to know and experience the love of God so that, we, so that our hearts cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit testifies, says Paul, with our spirit that we are, that we are children of God. And that transforms us. That gives us an ability to live a new life. And that life that we begin to enjoy now, simply by God's grace through his spirit, will continue into all eternity so that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That, that sets people free. That gives them New life as they come to understand that. And then the third section, Romans, um, Romans 9 to 11. Uh, uh, Paul imagines someone saying, well, well that, that may be true, but you didn't, it wasn't very clear as I read the Old Testament. And Paul says, no, if you read it right, it's absolutely clear. God has always been only about this one great purpose. God is absolutely faithful to his promises and God will always keep his promises. And central to his promises in Romans 9 to 11 is that Gentiles, all nations, should be brought into this one people of God who are all the same in their need for faith in Christ to put them right with God. All the same in the life that they enjoy, life by the Spirit, which will blossom into eternal life beyond death. And who are all, from all nations, united into one body. That's the gospel, says Paul. And then Romans uh, 12 to 15. How should you respond? How should you respond to, to news that good? One answer. Give yourself completely. It's the only reasonable response. Everything that I ha- am and are is given to God. That doesn't mean to say you all become, well, everyone becomes preachers or missionaries or anything in one sense. But everything about our lives is given to him. Every decision is submitted to him and his great purposes. Our whole life given over to God. Especially to the great and wonderful task of welcoming people from all kinds of backgrounds into his kingdom. He wants his People to have a quality understanding of what it means to be believers. Reconciled to God only through faith in Christ. Life by the Spirit. A faithful God who has always had that as his great purpose to incorporate Gentiles, all nations, into his people. And people who on the basis of that say, I I give up everything. 
Nothing now is held back from God. Everything that I am and are is submitted to him. Quality understanding, quality um, relationships as well are pretty prominent in Romans 15. Do you see how often um, he uses the same phrase? Greet, verse 8, greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachis. Or verse uh, 12, Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Or verse 13, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother. She's been a mother to me. Dear friends, precious people, precious friendships. Notice across the genders. Paul, Paul, Paul has relationships with sisters and mothers, as he calls them, in the Lord. Notice the relationships are across social divides. Uh, in ver- verse uh, 3, all the church- Gentile churches are grateful to Priscilla and Aquila who set at the, the disposal of the, of the people of God wherever they, le- wherever they settled their great big villa that they would have bought. Yeah, and that was costly sometimes. If you, if you look at the, the... the the rubbish that was going on in the church in Corinth, for instance, and all the machinations, all happening under the roof of Priscilla and Aquila, who must have had to be very gracious and gentle. Quality relationships and quality commitment. Again and again, the apostle says they worked hard in the Lord. They work very hard in the Lord. Or, uh, or Phoebe. Think about her again. This businesswoman who travels internationally. She's a deacon in the local church. She doesn't say, oh, I'm, I'm just too, too big and busy to be a humble servant. She's down there serving you know, in my time, I've, I've worked with a vice president uh, of the European Parliament um, who would turn down appointments, even on one occasion with a head of state, in order to get home for his elders' meeting. I've, I've, I've known professors who... who um, senior professors in the, in the university who would spend their Friday night driving around the city picking up kids to take them to a youth group to evangelize them. We, we have um, a, a professor in our church at the moment who reaches out equally to his fellow academics and to unemployed and, and asylum seekers. On the same day, you can see him sometimes bringing university professor and an asylum seeker to come and hear the gospel because he doesn't stand on his pride or his status he's just a servant he's just committed to serving the lord in his local church and using all the resources and opportunities he has to do that what an opportunity 
we have at this moment. You have blessed Trinity Church, and I know you have blessed other situations through the missions department as you have taken advantage of the connections that we have in today's world. Let me ask you, what's your part in that? What do you need to do to really get on board with God's purpose? Is it to deepen your understanding? To have your heart set alight by the truths of the gospel in fresh ways. There's so many opportunities in this church to do that. Is it that? Is it to, to be bold and courageous in the relationships and that, that you form? Not just with my friends, people that I like. That's so easy in a church like this. But with people I see across the way who don't have many friends. Because they come from a different life situation. Or is it actually to take advantage of this new globally connected world. Well, so new and yet so old. Where the gospel through which the gospel spread at the beginning. We have a moment, an opportunity to really be involved, every one of us, in the global spread of the gospel. It's our enormous privilege to belong to Jesus at this moment. We're going to show, to finish, a video of that Young man from Maine, just explaining his story as he serves the Lord now in Iraq.